1: True
2: Hauntings is a Frightfully Good production. In
3: 1633, the convent of the Ursuline nuns in Loudon, France, became the scene of an outbreak of pure evil. Some even called it a diabolical possession.
2: Over a short period of time, the nuns who inhabited this house of God showed all of the signs of a demonic attack, including speaking in tongues and acting in a most extraordinary and hysterical manner, never remembering any of their actions. How did such a demonic force find its way into the lives of such God-fearing victims? And what happened next?
3: Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And in this week's episode of the True Hauntings podcast, we take you inside the cloisters of a nunnery to look into one of the most famous cases of possession
0: that has ever occurred. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the centre of various unexplained phenomena, and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings.
2: Hello, Anne. We've got Satan himself on the microphone tonight. How are you doing, Renata? Hello, Anne. <laughs> this is actually pretty good, considering that is. for four days I had no voice whatsoever and I squeaked like a some sort of a... Um, possessed animal yeah and when Um, we
3: got you giggling (coughs) all we could hear
2: is nothing (laughs) Uh, so yes uh if you're hearing a little bit of difference in my voice uh, i do have the back end of laryngitis but look it's onwards and upwards and uh we have things to do and um, no time no no time. time to be sick so we're just getting into it so excuse my my um, raspiness. Yes, it's all right. I'll forgive you. Thank you. I've still got my dulcet tones.
3: Ah, even though you have shared the lurgy with me, I'm very lucky that it hasn't gone to my voice. You're
2: welcome. Professional voice using you. <laughs> um, we did have a great week, though, in spite of illnesses and things. We had uh, two uh, very unique uh, and uh, private investigations that we did. And when we say private investigations, it wasn't in people's homes. It was um just our private investigations no other people apart from cousin Steve and <laughs> yeah. and
3: maybe a few helpers on a yes, Wednesday night
2: yes. so <laughs> but it was just something that we were doing for ourselves
3: yeah and look you can check out we are going to have that up as an episode on our youtube uh you can actually see the live that we did at the Newcastle library with the gorgeous Erin from Cedar, and then uh, in the next couple couple of weeks, we'll have the one that we went to Collector to mm-hmm. do. We've got yes. a bit of a bush ranger bush ranger thing going on. Yeah, and that was, was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yes. Um. Yeah. Apart from the breakfast, but that that was all right. We got around that. Yeah. I Worked out what all that was about. You can listen to the Diary of a Ghost Hunter podcast <laughs> to work out what happened there. Uh, now I've got a feeling this is um. I oh, know, it's gone. It's, my brain is like a sieve <laughs> at the moment. I've had my cold and flu tablets and I've had my vitamin C's and I've
2: had my magic mind this morning, so I'm, I'm ready for more. Well, this this is one of the most intriguing cases that we have covered up to this point in time. There have been some momentous ones in the 113 episodes oh, that we've done. Heavens. This one is... Um, Again, I think I may have said, let's do this one, end Yeah, well, I actually
3: found another one about the possessed nuns. And I said, oh, this will be a hoot, possessed nuns. And it actually was a completely different case to the one you said, oh, oh yes, the ones of the uh,
2: Look, who would have thunk <laughs> that there were hundreds of them? Yeah. Hundreds. There's nuns being possessed everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> With and, Satan's brides. And, <laughs> oh, look. We are the brides of Satan. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hang around for this one, guys, because this you may is, need a shower afterwards. <laughs> this, this is an eye-opening one. <sighs> I never knew. I did not know no. this part of history. No, I did not know. Uh, it was surprising to me. And I was raised as a Catholic, um, and I've I've had issues with being a Catholic. I think ever since I was about sixteen. Yep, um, and have not been one for many, many decades, um, but as as we reveal more of this stuff, it becomes more astounding at um, how history has shaped um, our world mm-hmm. and how we think things are may not necessarily be how they are. It will be up to you whether you think that this ends up being a true haunting or not. I've made up my mind. Yeah, I made of, up my mind after
3: the, about 10 minutes
2: into the case. After the two weeks of looking at this case. Because we couldn't
3: record anything last week. No. Because, yeah, we were supposed to record two last week and yeah. we have done none.
2: Yeah, I had no voice whatsoever. None? None. none. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Um, but I'm going to get you to start off with the soundscape and then let's dig into this. And this might be very different to our other podcasts in that it's going to be more of a, a conversation. A discussion. A discussion more than anything. Else.
3: The nuns struck their chests and backs with their heads, as if they had their necks broken and with inconceivable rapidity. They twisted their arms at the joints of their shoulder, the elbow or the wrist, two or three times around. Lying on their stomach, They joined the palms of their hands to the soles of their feet. Their faces became so frightful one could not bear to look at them. Their eyes remained open without winking. Their tongues issued suddenly from their mouths, horribly swollen, black, hard and covered with pimples. And yet while in the state, they spoke distinctly. They threw themselves back till their heads touched their feet and walked in this position with wonderful rapidity and for a long time they uttered cries so horrible and so loud that nothing like it was ever heard before they made use of expressions so indecent as to shame the most debauched of men while their acts both in exposing themselves and inviting lewd behaviour from those present, would have astonished the inmates of the lowest brothels in the country.
2: Maybe we should put a caveat up of um, beware, I think, beware. I think we need to story. warn people about this one. <laughs> I, I don't think, you know, a story. I was thinking
3: about that. I think we do need to put some sort of warning on this story because, yes. but I don't know what it is. I don't know what that warning <laughs> is. Apart from the whole thing is so freaking
2: disturbing. <laughs> it is just <laughs> disturbing. Just <laughs> disturbing. So, um, I know we've probably hooked you in at this point in time. But if oh, you're, did we have a hook? If you're Ooh. not ready. If you're not ready to listen to um, things that will touch a lot on religious belief, then maybe take this in slowly or stop. Um, But this is history. So we have taken our notes from research Mm -hmm. and from information that is out there uh, that may well be centuries old um, n- nothing that's kind of like, yeah, someone wrote a podcast and, and that's all we've we've done. Yeah. We, we've spent weeks looking through notes on and this one. And I
3: really struggled to stay focused on this one. I found it really difficult to sit down and do the work. Normally, I fluff around for a bit, but once I start, I'm, I'm into it. This one, I had every five seconds, I'm getting up and walking away. I yeah. just
2: really struggled. Yeah, you had to pull away. Yeah. So I'm going to start... Um, and let's let's get into this because the longer we are in these people's, <laughs>
3: we need to get energy. out of their lives. We just <laughs> oh, need to get away yeah. from
2: it. <sighs> so yes, this is a story about possessed nuns in Ludong. and um, possessed nuns isn't one of those things you go looking for, um, unless you're looking for it, <laughs> uh, and. Um, yeah, most people don't. They will spend their lifetime uh, never going into this part of history. Um, and please don't, I suggest <laughs> to you. Um, but this is something that did take place hundreds of years ago. And it, as you go through this information, you find that this particular story about these nuns is not singular. It is one of... Hundreds of stories, which I think that is the point that really distressed me a lot, Mm -hmm. that it's hundreds of stories of this sort of stuff. It became a pattern, didn't it? Yep. So there was a book written by um, Aldous Huxley. Aldous
3: Huxley, one of Roman's favourite authors.
2: Oh, is it? Brave New World I think he did No, right And uh, it was called The Devils of Ludong mm. And it was written In 1952 And then there was Another movie made By Ken Russell Called The Devils In 1971 uh, You can find it On YouTube But I suggest you don't <laughs> Please don't. I, I watched. I watched five minutes of okay. Red Grave, yep.
3: and what's that other one? Who was a very famous actor at the time, but a little bit makes your skin crawl. Uh, it's very oh. Clockwork Orange. It's
2: very weird. Yep. yep. So, uh, and look, a bit, it's it's rated R plus. Yeah. It's it. It's not really going to shed any light on what actually happened, um, but you know, two people did try and look at this in a way that. They Lawrence, could.
3: So was it Laurence Olivier?
2: It could be, yeah. yeah. He was pretty, yeah. Um, so the real story took place um, uh, in the 1600s in a convent. Uh, where young nuns were locked away in France. And we have to say this, that um, in most cases, the the nuns that were in these places were extremely young. Yeah, and it wasn't a calling. Yeah, these were their vital years. These were the years when nowadays, you know, girls would be out there partying and dancing and Mm. trying all the things that, you know, you shouldn't but you do. Um, And in this case, these girls were put away. Yep and not to be touched, a little bit like the Vestal Virgins. Yes, that's what we were talking about the other day. Yeah, if you lost your virginity, uh, you were no longer seen as valuable. Yeah.
3: yeah. But they were also um, put in there if they couldn't marry them off because they were too ugly it's, it's, or there was something wrong with them. They didn't look perfect. They were all put off in the nunnery.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: So um, as I said, not a calling. It's not like they they wanted to give their lives to God, they were forced in there.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I I actually wrote here, um, this story is uh, more complicated and has more twists in the plot than a bag of pretzels. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, It was my first moment of going, oh, my God, (laughs) what are we doing here? So let's talk about the Earth's lines first. So in 1535, um, a woman called Angela Merici um, so she, her dates are fourteen seventy four to fifteen forty. She founded a gathering of lay women, who she called the Ursulines. Now they lived separately, but in their own homes, and they undertook apostolic and educational works with girls and women. I know, so this, the ladies, yeah. So this was a way, a roundabout way of educating girls and women. Now uh, there are kind of two thoughts here girls women didn't get an education in those years but there were many women who felt the pull of being drawn into working uh in a spiritual way so this was like a bridge between lay people and nuns so they kind of weren't really nuns but they weren't really lay people anymore and this was approved by pope paul iii in 1544 for this movement to happen, and these women then were organised into into communities and set up, and they were supervised by the local bishops. Mm-hmm.
3: Nothing, could, nothing could go wrong there. <clears throat> what could go wrong? Yeah, I just uh, found a little quote that I had in here um, uh, about the the cloistered nuns. Oh, where was it? Something about very pretty, apart from a hunchback.
2: <laughs> oh. Now, they yeah women did want to take an active role in religious life. I think they saw it as an aspiration and something to maybe get them out of their, their cycle of poverty. Uh, and there were, at this point in time, there were by far more women committing to God than men. Yeah. So this was another problem, red flag. So the Ursulines, they could get an education and they became authorities within their community at a time when normally women weren't granted any status at all. So there was protection there. Protection. Yeah. Behind the walls. Yes. But the rule was that they could only teach reading, writing and sewing. Oh, okay. Reading, writing and sewing. That's all they could teach.
3: Well, reading and writing is a good start. Yeah. Unless you get some education in there. And sewing, well, you know.
2: Now, during this time, there were a few things that were going on in Europe, which is another... Uh, overarching thing that we need to look at when we look at this whole time. The witch trials were at their peak in France and the plague plague, plague, plague <laughs> had hit many towns in France and Loudon was one of them. Now, over 4,000 people died in that town. And also on top of that, there was a terrible angst between Catholics and Protestants. Oh, even back everywhere, then? Everywhere, everywhere. Wow. So you had Catholics and Protestants, you had you know, a, a certain percentage of the population that had died from the plague, which was thought to be brought on by uh, Satan because of the evil of the people. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't paying enough attention to their religious guides uh, and they, um, it, the witch trials were happening. So the Loudon possessions, which were very well documented, were amongst the most notable and scandalous episodes of demonic possession in France in the 17th century. Now, we've got to remember the date, 1600s. Very, very important. Now, Ludon, again, was notable for many other reasons in that it was a town full of churches and religious houses, and it was very much divided between Protestants and Catholics. And in 1616, it was a place where a conference between the two churches, the Protestant and the Catholic, got together in the hope that they could find grounds for reconciliation, but it didn't happen. So that's kind of the scene that's been set. Um, We've got our background. We've got our background. Now we want the foreground. So the plague was fading away by the time the newly founded convent of the Ursuline nuns was established. Some of these Ursuline nuns were well-connected aristocrats. Um, And, uh, yeah, the... Daughters of uh, well-connected aristocrats were placed in there, again, Mm -hmm. for safekeeping and for education. But this is around the time when they began to be visited by the demonic phenomena. Even though the plague never hit the convent. That's because they were cloistered. Mm. They weren't allowed it outside the walls. Yeah. So, so they, they you, never got it. You cannot blame the plague mm. in any way for what was about to happen with mm. these nuns. Yeah.
3: But it did mean that they were locked within those walls for quite some time because of the plague raging on the outside. Right. So think about... The uh, Makona, yeah, the Makona, <laughs> yes, that we've just and been how through. we've all been crazy locked down for a little while,
2: yeah. And think of these women in um, an environment where they are there, a lot teenagers on their own <laughs> without any guidance except for the male, the confessor, male people. Um, uh, uh, priests yeah, yeah, yeah. that were coming in. And their in mother superior. And mother superior, who was only at the time in her 30s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I actually had it down as her 20s. In her 30s. Mm. Well, that's what I read 30s. And at this time, also, you're dealing with a Europe that's gone through uh, the witch craze. And many people only understand the big things in life through superstitious beliefs. That's all they have. There's no science. Mm -hmm. So it's all about superstition. And some of those superstitions
3: came about because of um, practical things to... um... Try to explain
2: the unexplainable. Yeah. Yeah. For many people in um, early modern Europe, yep, superstition was the only way to explain things. So when you come across a victim who's suffering convulsions, contortions, muscular rigidity, swelling vomiting of alien substances, contempt of sacred objects and speaking in languages previously unknown, then the only thing that can be happening is that the devil has entered into that person's body. Yep. There is no other way to explain it. Interestingly, the devil seemed to have a lot of responsibility back then in everything that happened in life. He's a busy boy. He was busy. And it, seemed that uh, in both traditions in Catholic and Protestant theology Satan got considerable power in that in the natural world. So he could cause crops to fail, he could make cattle sick, he could make people possessed, he could cause famines or plagues and um, that was the cause of everything. It was Satan. Yeah, it was always Satan. Nobody could actually take responsibility for their own actions. It's uh, Satan so demonic possession uh also made sense to the the, the tribe the the people that were uneducated yeah. you know their only stronghold was mass or whatever religious belief that they had mm-hmm. and that that went from um generation to generation you weren't allowed to choose what you wanted you just were uh, so d- demonic possession was certainly something that um it was well understood and it only came through the voice of the clergy who preached and ministered them. That's the only way they learnt about what demonic possession was. Oh. So there was no books, no anything else, no what, no bias. There no at all. bias whatsoever. <laughs> and um Ludon was not the first case. Mmm Right. So there seems in Europe to have been a lot of places that unfortunately went under this whole trauma. So convents convents were always gendered. They were either women or men, but it seemed that it was the women who repeatedly uh, were labelled even though they were in convents as deceivers or the deceived. Yeah, you know, women were Oh uh, let's were, keep them under thumb. Yeah, yeah. Um, They were uh, often mistaking the demonic for the divine. So their whole thing about, you know, rising with God or, you know. Could also be a levitation for the devil. Yes, yes. And um, they were meant to pursue spiritual uh, exercises, but it was always thought that what would happen if anything happened untoward was above their mental and biological capabilities, because they were just women. Yes. uh, Yeah. We we can't do much, can we? Yes. Yes. (sighs) So convents more than other spaces became by the second half of the 16th century sites of contention and confusion. So there was nothing for these women to do other than pray and meditate. That would send you crazy. Oh,
3: absolutely.
2: I wouldn't have lasted a day. I would have been over the fence and gone. Now, I'm going to refer a little bit earlier on because we think that the 1600s is that time when everything sparked off. But remember, the witch trials started earlier. And prior to the witch trials, we still had lots of clumps of people getting possessed. So I'm going to just refer to a few. Clumps of people? Clumps of people. (laughs) Groups groups of people. Groups of people. In 1554, there was a group of 82 women in Rome. Um, most of who were Jews, who had recently converted to Christianity and they became possessed for a brief period. In 1593, 15 adults and children were reported to be possessed in a Silesian town of Friedberg. Another 40 people were afflicted in another town in Spandau a few years later. Now we had demons uh, possessed hundreds of nuns in some 50 different French, Italian, and Spanish convents. Wow. That's, that's a lot of possessions. That's a lot of possessions. Poor on
3: Lucifer is just There's, run
2: ragged. Is a plot thickening here. Mm. So I want to say that again. 50 different convents, French, Spanish, and Italian. Yeah. Um, and so Ludon was probably the icing on the cake if I can say that. The
3: the, pièce de the
2: The big thing on the top of the cake. (laughs) Interestingly, I want to say that a lot because um, the two most common interpretations of possession were either demonic or fakery. Oh, no. Surely nobody would fake it, Renata. (laughs) Surely nobody. Some of the symptoms did seem like these people were suffering from some sort of naturally caused illness. Mm -hmm. And we've got to look at that because if you're in a cloistered environment, you can't get anything anywhere. um, Is some of the food and some of the water, uh, some of what is um, these people are ingesting actually making them ill as well? Yeah. And because they're all drinking or eating the same stuff, they're all getting possessed all at the same time. The interesting thing, though, is, there I said it again, is that they're all showing the same sort of symptoms. So you've got convulsions, um, blaspheming, cursing, swallowing and regurgitating um, pins and other materials, speaking from the ve- belly, um, and hallucinating. <laughs> Interestingly speaking enough... Speaking
3: from the belly, is that when you get your rolls of flab and you go, oh, hold on. Hold, hold. <laughs> wiggle it up and down?
2: Ventriloquism. <gasps> oh. All of these things that I just mentioned can be falsified. Yeah. And guess what they were doing? They were learning this stuff from each other. Oh, no. They were learning it. Now, sexual stuff. Oh, naughty nuns. Sexual stuff. Guess which group of uh, religious orders had the sexual stuff going on and which didn't uh remember we've got catholics and protestants the catholics yes the naughty catholics it was only the catholics that ever in any of the stuff that we've looked at so far kind of mentioned the sexual urges the exposure of self the um the the words protestants had none of this oh
3: isn't that weird? Well, the, the Catholics always have to be more grander than the Protestants. Always. I, I was Catholic too, so.
2: Um, now, I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry. But we this did is, give you a warning. This, we did this, warn is, you. this is stuff that has been researched and uh, there are people that have spent their lives in universities looking through this stuff. Do you know the most common method of learning how to do possessions? Uh, no. The sauce, you know what the sauce is? The sauce, tomato, barbecue, hot chilli,
3: I don't know, sweet chilli maybe. The Bible. What? The Bible. Oh, because they talk about people who have been possessed and what they do. Yes. So they copy it. Yes.
2: Yes. Oh, oh. Now, because the scripts in the biblical accounts were brief and undeveloped, underdeveloped, um, early modern demo- demoniacs, and that's what they were called, uh, usually preferred to follow the scripts in more recent possession narratives. So I'm reading here: um, possession cases were published, and the nuns of Loudun had read Sebastian Michaelis's Admiral, ad- admirable history of the possession and conversion of a penitent, which was written Jeez, in 16. 13. Oh, it was French. I had to actually um, translate it, get it translated. I had no idea what it meant. Oh, I
3: hope it didn't um, cost you too much.
2: No. <laughs> so this is um, Michaelis's admirable history of the position and conversion of a penitent written in 1613 uh, to justify the persecution of Louis Goffridi in 1611. Now, Gofridi, Let's go there for a Gauffredi. second. Goffridi, okay. Um, this might go longer for an hour than an hour guys <laughs> oh, yeah, she, she's getting worked up I can see it from here So the graffiti affair was about a 17 year old aristocratic girl who fell for a parish priest 1617 oh. Madeline de de Marduleux de la Palute entered the Ursuline convent at Marseille where she confessed to the superior... <laughs> the
3: shoulders are
2: going, <laughs> <laughs> uh ...where she confessed to the superior that she had been intimate with Gauphudi. Now, why she did this, she was 16. Oh, you know, because I reckon he had spurned her, and she's getting her revenge. So she blabbed her mouth to Mother Superior that this priest had had his way with her, or she with him, and Mother Superior decided the best thing to do was to send her away uh as far away as she could from this this particular um, person, a parish priest, uh, and that's when De Madelou began to exhibit con- convulsions. I have to do that. I have to do that with, do do the, that shoulders, with the shoulders. Huh, huh. <laughs> uh, she started to exhibit convulsions, shaking symptoms uh, that were taken as demonic possession, and the condition seemed to be contagious. And other nuns began to show symptoms straight away. Now, all attempts of exorcism, and yes, uh, every time a case like this came up. All the exorcists in the area that were available would rush into these centres and try and exorcise them. And there were numbers of exorcisms that would go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, there was a priest at A, AI, A I X, uh, who confronted Gafridi about the confession of this young woman and she, he denied it. Yeah. He was arrested, imprisoned, and Gafridi was tortured in some of the most horrendous, horrendous ways Mm. possible. Mm. Horrendous.
3: Yeah, I I believe you because the research I've done with this case is just, like, mind-blowing. And they'd
2: stop just before he died... So mm-hmm. this this was something that they just went on with for hours. Yep, they okay, did that in this gonna, case too. Yeah. And uh, eventually, he confessed that he was a magician and that that he, that he had breathed enchantments and corrupted on her uh, several times. Uh, and he was even induced uh, through extreme agony to say that he had been at a witch's sabbat, and he gave a long description of it. Well oh, I mean, you got to. You're gonna have to say this. Stuff to make it stop. You make it stop because that's the only way they can get it to stop. Yep. So he's going to die eventually. They know he's now he's going to die. So he's at this point where he just can't stop. You can't take this pain any longer. So um, Godfrey, uh, sorry, Galfredi was burnt alive. And in the in the, a town square on April the thirtieth, sixteen eleven, sounds very familiar. As being guilty of magic, sorcery, impiety, and abominable lust, uh, and hundreds of people, hundreds of people came out to watch this. Now, this was all written up um, in that Michaelis book, Michaelis book, uh, and it, this was the foundation text. <laughs> For French oh. demoniacs. Right. This is what they all learnt off. Now, the Ludon experience happened 20 years later.
3: Right. So, I mean, you've got to remember that we don't have the internet back then. They didn't even have a good access to books and things were sort of copied slowly. So it would have leaked out across the countryside and eventually people would have got hold of it. And I, I could see why it would take 20 years for it to uh, kick off somewhere else. Mm-hmm.
1: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: So let's get back to Ludo. and yep. So this started, um, I think, with the Mother Superior... Is that kind of what you sort of got, that it started really with the Mother Superior because... Yes, but there was uh,
3: a central character that caused the Mother Superior to kick off.
2: Yeah. um, I read that there were issues prior to this happening, so they got hold of this text, I think, and it sort of started to uh, escalate because the stories that I read uh, were that there were, as I mentioned before, a number of exorcisms tried by... um, priests that had come from around the countryside mm-hmm. and it just couldn't, it it wasn't working. It just no. wasn't working. This was beginning to escalate. Uh, and then it was Father Urbain Grandier that yeah. uh, arrived in 1617 as the local parish priest and this was like, you know, when it all really sort of kicked off. Yeah. So Urbain
3: was very, very ambitious. He was also very naughty. He was very charismatic. He was loud. He quite often uh, voiced his opinions and disdain for church laws. He had an unquenchable lust for sex. Uh, He had seduced the daughters of many powerful men. He was born on the wrong side of
2: Catholic or Protestant. He just—he he was—he was. was not a minister. He, he was a he, politician. Yeah, he wasn't. Well, he wasn't a minister. But it—it re, it really peeved him off that he couldn't have a sexual life. Yeah. As well as as being um, in it, these people had immense power. Mm. They ruled the whole township. Yeah. And village that they were assigned to. Yeah. So look, he he was very
3: had a sharp tongue very quick-witted um and would quite happily if he saw someone doing the wrong thing or going against something he believed he would dress them down publicly very publicly uh, yeah his parishioners actually really liked him mm-hmm. they thought he was handsome he was charismatic and funny <laughs> yep but the nobleman on the other hand didn't like him, so they would come and give their confessions because he was the con- local confessor that's who you went to to give your confessions. And uh, apparently, uh, Grandier would give them a piece of his mind on their sins and what they had been doing. So it was 1627 that he's appointed to the parish priest in Loudon. Uh, He turns up dressed, apparently, (laughs) to look the part. He came dressed as a heartbreaker. His um, moustache apparently was curled beyond the point of any other moustache in the existence of humanity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing about him was he was a Jesuit priest. Now, they have a little bit of liberty that they're allowed to study, they're allowed to be free thinkers, so he... It was in a position that he could question the doctrines of the church. And one he particularly picked on was the celibacy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hmm. So hot, smart and funny. Mm. Yes.
2: So stick, him in. Excuse <laughs> stick <me? laughs> him in amongst the young nuns. Well, not quite yet. Right. So he was a good
3: priest. He gave very powerful sermons. He actually loved his job. He loved to look after his people and, uh, and people sort of, turned, sort of turned their away from his naughtiness and just went, "Oh well, you know, we'll, we just give him some leniency. Yeah, we, we just won't even look at that. Yeah. He used to mock the monks. He loved a fight, um, a verbal sparring match, and he, he, nobody was safe. Like even cardinal Rich, Richelieu, yeah. Richelieu, was targeted by him. And he was an advisor to the king, and that's not someone that you mess with because he may have had, um, Grandier may have had ambitions, but let me tell you, the cardinal was even worse. Mm-hmm. But his real problems began before the convent when he targeted the daughter of Philippe, which was the daughter of a nobleman, um, uh, Louis Trinconte. And he was a prosecutor in Ludon and also just happened to be his best friend. Mm-hmm. So he's sought out his daughter and um, they they got Grandier in to give her private Latin lessons. Oh, I
2: bet he did. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Wrap your tongue around that word, honey. Uh, he was also her confessor. So... She would come into the confessional and confess her desires for him. Oh, dear. She was only a teenager. He got her pregnant and then immediately lost interest in her. As soon as she was pregnant, that said, I'm not interested in you anymore. Uh, and he said to her, now is the time to bear your Christian burden on your own. Oh, nice. Uh, now, guess what happened with his best friend and the nobleman, the public prosecutor after that deflowered his daughter, abandoned his daughter. They're not friends anymore. He's just made himself a whopping big enemy. Now, uh, Urbain started to, uh, Urbain Grandier started to wrong many people. There were many people in nobility that started to get their nose out of joint because he was publicly humiliating them Mm. when they are supposed to be above the commoners. And... They started to get together and compare notes mm-hmm. and formed this, um, I noticed in one podcast they called the a cabal, mm-hmm. where they all had this common interest. Which was bring him down. Mm. Now, not long after that, he actually fell in love with someone and took a wife and he abandoned his uh, post as a priest. He did his own ceremony in secret. So he married himself to his wife <laughs> nice. in secret. Nice, nice. Uh, even though he he felt that he was justified that he could take a wife, as no man could be possibly be expected to be celibate. It's impossible not to, he said. Now, this is where the the upper people started to turn on him. Uh, there was another enemy, Pierre Manal, advisor to the king. Now, he'd been courting an, uh, Urbain's now wife. Mm-hmm. And he'd been courting Madeline for years and years and years with no success. And then Urbain Grandier has just walked in in a heartbeat and snatched her up and uh, married her. So he was angry. He found Urbain and actually beat him with a cane. But that didn't satisfy him. He wanted more. Mm -hmm. He brought immorality charges against him. And that was the first time that he was threatened with being burned at the stake. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the first time. But uh, he had other priests testify that he had... Oh, sorry. And part of that trial, they said that some of the priests testified that he committed sex acts on the ground of the church. So his punishment was fasting on bread and water every Friday for three months.
2: Oh, that's, oh, that's now, awful. instead
3: of being burnt at the stake. Awful. Right? Not, not good if you're on, doing on, keto. On,
2: <laughs> not a torture. Now, the reason why
3: he got such a lenient <clears throat> um, ser, uh, yeah, sentence yeah. is because the person that was judging him had his own secret wife and was up to no good as oh, well. Oh, right. <laughs> so he couldn't exactly <clears throat> go and point yeah. the finger and say, hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now. He could have just disappeared then and enjoyed his wife and 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 just, but he enjoyed his,
2: uh, eating his bread and water.
3: Yeah, and, he, for three he actually enjoyed challenging people and getting them riled up. It was mm-hmm. something he loved to do. But now bring on the nuns who are cloistered away, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're hidden in there. And uh, Mother Superior Jean, Jean, Jean de Jean Day, uh who. <laughs> yeah, Jean, we'll call her, the mother superior. She heard about this man and she started to obsess over him. And. Because the nuns were cloistered, they relied on the gossip from the outside yes. world. So they were hearing all about this urbane person and how handsome he was and the wonderful sermons that he gave. And this Mother Superior... oh there goes my microphone spinning. Mother Superior Jean, Je... 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 Je Jean, <laughs> I can't say it. Mother Superior... Um, she. This is the one where they said she was quite pity, pretty apart from a hunchback. She was <laughs> aggressive and sarcastic and she went to the convent for being a horrible teenager and she was very good at doing the Game of Thrones. She was very good at the political game. Now she sucked up to the mother superior that was there and eventually took her spot at a very, very young age. So this woman has ambition as well mm-hmm. and sounds like she's not terribly nice. Hmm. Now, at this stage, Grandier had never laid eyes on these women, never met them, had nothing to do with them. But the mother superior started to campaign to get him there as their confessor. Mm-hmm. She wanted him mm-hmm. in oh so many ways. She wanted him. This
2: is the wrong people. If you've heard of manifesting, this is the wrong type of manifesting because they did they started to manifest this man yeah. into the convent yeah and look, it, the the legend became bigger than the reality because
3: of all the little whispers behind the the hands mm-hmm. and oh the fluttering of the the heart and the eyebrows mm-hmm. no the eyebrows eyelashes <laughs> So look, this Mother Superior Jean uh, was quite repressed, but she lusted and she obsessed over him, and she wanted him. And but he very but she hadn't seen him. No, no, only just by word of mouth. Now the convent's uh, confessor died, and she started to move heaven and earth to get him there. But he declined in a nice letter to them, saying, "I am not worthy of the honour to be the convent's confessor." Mm-hmm. So that then turned her lust to hatred, and she wanted to bring him down. So what she did is she started saying that she's been having dreams about the new confessor, and he was appearing to her when she was asleep, demanding sexual favours.
2: Oh, that's interesting. And guess what happens? So is this this dream that kind of people talk about, the dream where she wakes up, and she sees a man Mm -hmm. at the foot of her bed, Mm -hmm. and he says to her, pray with me. take this
3: book take this book i read that one and then this one was even sort of a little bit more interesting so guess what happens then with the other nuns they all start claiming that they're having this thing happening too they're describing him as almost like a magician who's trying to influence them against his will Mm -hmm. they claim then that their dreams now become visions and there's uh-huh. a difference between dreams and visions. And they pointed the finger at Grandier, who they believed had some sort of incubus-style power over them, mm-hmm. allegedly. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, look, this could have all disappeared rather quietly, but some of the nuns were bored. <laughs> and the, the convent was allegedly haunted. And some of the older nuns really believed that there was some entities or something within the, the convent. And at Halloween, apparently some of the younger nuns decided to dress up as ghosts and sort of run around trying to scare people and scare the children. And the, the older nuns believed that the younger nuns were being possessed and influenced by this incubus demon or whatever ah, it was. right,
2: right. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> So that's when the older nuns said that they um, believed that Satan was amongst them.
2: Yes, mm. making them lust after Grandier. Yeah. Now, they had the new
3: confessor come in. Right? It wasn't Grandier. And he just happened to be one of the ones who hate, hated Grandier. Oh. So what did he do? He flamed, fanned the flames mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and whipped them all up into a frenzy, telling them their souls were going to be at, at risk because it was going to be lost to Satan. Um, so many of them started to even amped it up even more. And all of a sudden they're speaking in tongues and they're, they're acting possessed. And in the background, this little group of people that doesn't like Grandier are um, doing some more nasty things. So when they're finding out this is happening amongst, and still he hasn't been to the convent at this stage, mm-hmm. still not there, uh, they organise some zealous Carmelite priests to come into the convent and exorcise mm-hmm. the said nuns. Mm-hmm. Now they saw the devil and everything in you know, it. There's mm-hmm. there's not anything there that didn't have the devil in it. The younger nuns are. Uh, were saying that they were being visited every night by Grandier. The nuns were performing lewd in front of the Carmelite priests and claiming that they were possessed. And, of course, the, the Carmelite priests are lining up and they're exercising them every day. Apparently it was uh, pretty full on. Oh,
2: my God. I've got a sentence here that just like my my eyeballs went to the back of my head when I read it <laughs> yeah. um, about some of the things that they did. Uh, and their lewdness. Mm. Um, Oh, please read it. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. During their possession acts, attacks, dissociating nuns often behaved with alarming lewdness, lifting their habits, simulating copulation and giving their demons names such as dog's dick, fornication, (laughs) fornication or even ash-coloured pussy. How, how far back does that go then? I had Lucifer and um, Asimov and, and not
3: Asimov, uh, Asmodean and, and all the you other know, see, ones. See, there
2: you go. <laughs> I like yours better. Guilt and desire could drive a nun to distraction. The fortitude of many a nun was most severely tested during these evangelical reform movements. And remember, these were people, these were women, who often, if they were nobles, were... Um, they, they were used to the best of life. Yes. Now, they had to sleep on literally the floor with no pillow. They had tasteless meals. They had to get up in the middle of the night for prayers. Mm. This was not their world.
3: And some of them were naughty girls that were sent there because yeah. they were rebels. And how are they going to cope with that?
2: So this was kind of this freeing of all of this emotion and, you know, and everything that had kind of built up. So, you could imagine that this was this moment where they could just release themselves yeah. and become totally wild.
3: Apparently they re- released themselves in front of the, the priest. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, then we have another priest brought in, Father Beret, I think it was, and he decided that these exorcisms should be made public so that they the people in the, the commoners could see oh uh, the go- devil in action. Are, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, no. So apparently the, the public were more interested in seeing the nuns writhing around in sexual bliss and showing a lot of leg, but, you know. Um, they used to take them to the
2: um, centre yeah, yeah, of yeah. the they, township. Yeah, they
3: toured. In they, the marketplace. They freaking toured. Anyway, um, the, the nuns believed there were seven demons who liked to live in their armpits and bellies. <laughs> there was some little... Um, I remember one thing I was reading where they made a slit beneath their uh, ribs or something and that's where the demons were supposed to come in and out and and have their way with them I, i could think of better places but you know um so the exorcisms were failing and according to religious law at the time the next step that you had to do if the exorcisms were failing was holy water enemas uh oh Yep. really Yep. Now, the sister Jean uh, was still claiming that Grandier had put the demons in all of them, uh, and she started to try and turn the public against him. Now, this is also the time we have the Maleficarum. Maleficarum. I can never get remember what that is. Um, and that was saying that if you have any dreams or any visions, they could all be used in testimony to prove that you were a witch. Uh-huh. So if you had a dream. Uh-huh. That was proof. Right. So, of course, all these nuns are saying they're having these dreams. Okay. And that becomes proof. Hmm. Uh, now, yeah, I just had to find my notes. Okay. Now, it's it's we, we thought we had a rabbit hole. No, we go, we're going down a whopping <laughs> big hole now. So, demons possessing bodies could incriminate other demons. Right, so we've now got the nuns who are possessed, yeah, and they could then point the finger at somebody else in the town and say, you've got a demon in you as well, because I'm a demon recognising another demon. So this is like Salem Witch Trials. It is. There is so much crossover going on here. So the problem is that... Isn't Lucifer and Satan supposed to be the father of all lies? So why would demons all of a sudden be telling you the truth? And why would the church accept that Uh as all of a sudden... So what they did is that they changed things around for this trial and they made it so that it was true because... And this is how they twist things That the priests were in control of the demons within the nuns Because of the exorcisms that they were performing So they could not lie while the priests had control of them Which goes completely against what the church has stated before They were failing in their exorcism, So how were they in charge of these alleged demons Who must be telling the truth?
2: Mm -hmm. It's not making sense (coughs) at all But you've got to blame someone. And when an exorcism fails over and over again, how does that look to the community who have been giving their souls Mm -hmm. to these priests who are supposed to be protecting them from all evil? Yeah. You've got to turn it around in some way so that it um, allows the priests to get away with their failure and and not be looked at as um, being in cahoots, I guess,
3: And look, by this stage, this has been going on for a while and uh, some people started to realise it was getting a little bit out of hand. So the chief magistrate of the town said, this is just all a mass mass um delusion you're Uh you're all whipping each other up into a uh, frenzy and ordered the exorcisms to stop the priests who were doing the exorcisms were hopeless they could barely speak latin and most of the time they were making stuff up uh and they were shoving fingers into as this podcast i was listening to holes or orifices (laughs) (laughs) they weren't following the, the church guidelines at all but they were Creating a good spectacle. Yep.
2: Oh my god! And this was in front of the townsfolk.
3: Mm. <gasps> so the poor old nuns actually started to have real breakdowns at this stage because they couldn't earn any money. They they earned their money by schooling children uh, and teaching, but parents were taking their kids out because they don't want their their kids being in with demon possessed nuns. Mm-hmm. Think about it. So they loved running their school, but they had to stop because people were pointing the finger at them. Now, Cardinal Richelieu, we all know my my pronunciations are great, comes back onto the scene. Now, remember, we've got this cabal that's working in the background. Uh, Now, there is supposedly a letter that was found written by Grandier, the, the confessor that's never met the nuns, that roasted the cardinal. It was an anonymous letter, but they convinced the people that Grandier had written it, but he actually hadn't. Now, Richelieu is a very, very powerful man. He sits next to the king and advises him. So after this, the um, chief magistrate tried to get the trial off and get rid of it because it was just ridiculous, he got it back on track. Now, the reason why he was doing this is because he wanted more power. He's trying to whip up a frenzy in France to say that Satan is now invading France and that was going to then lead him to being the, the St. Michael archangel with the sword and and mm-hmm. give him Status. troops and, yep. and yep. Everything money. That you every, want. Anything that you could possibly want. <clears throat> you can have it if you keep Satan off our shores. Yep. So... Now we've got him sticking his fingers in the orifices trying to get what he wants. Uh, now, at this stage, we've got Grandier, the, the confessor, who was very handsome and smart and quick-witted and liked to make people angry. His friends have said, there's stuff going on. You don't even know about it, but you've been accused of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You need to get out of town. You need to go away. Uh, but he went, no, no, this sounds like a good fight and the truth will come out. The truth will come out. But he was arrested and they searched his library and they didn't find any packs with the devil, but they did find that letter. Mm Mm-hmm which was probably planted. planted. But mm-hmm. I, I did see another letter somewhere in another article which was supposed to be a pact with the devil and it was yes. signed by signed, various people. Yes,
2: yeah. So And people were convinced of this and this was one of his downfalls, this, yeah. this letter. Yeah. Um, and we will post this letter up on the True Hauntings um, fans podcast page. Yeah. It's It's quite interesting. Now, they couldn't put him into an ordinary
3: prison because he is a demon. So he was put into, I can't remember whose house it was, it was one of the people's houses, into the attic and bricked in. Because they worried he was going to fly out of the chimney. Oh, my goodness. Now, at this stage, the nuns were getting a little bit tired and they started to be a little less possessed. (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's hard work. But the church didn't like that. They said, no, 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 no you can't be less possessed. We need you to be possessed and we're going to take you all around the countryside showing you to different churches that these are the possessed nuns and you all need to come back to God so that we can look after you. So that's what happened. They shipped them all off and uh, they had to say how um, Grundier was lusting after them and what he had done to them. So they're cementing this, this man's fate.
2: They They're sta- literally
3: cementing <laughs> literally. <laughs> into a wall. Yeah, so they started to embellish their stories. They started to accuse others because we've got this whole demons that can you uh-huh, know, point uh-huh. the finger at other people. Um, now they started to point the fingers at the priests who were exercising them and it all started to backfire a little bit. Mm-hmm. However, Richelieu, the cardinal and the king were never accused because that was just too high. Mm-hmm. So the nuns claimed that Grandier had become the high priest to the devil. And they were all princesses of Satan. Uh, now, the the mother superior went as far to say that he has five marks. Grandier has five marks on his body. Because remember, if you had a birthmark or something. Yep. that was a sign that the devil sucked on your skin. I've got a birthmark on my finger. Um, and that he was in league with the devil. And apparently these are places that if you put a pin or something into it, you can't feel it. Because there's no pain because it's a mark by the devil. Mm-hmm. So... You're going to love this. Um, She claimed that he had these marks, one on his shoulder, two on his butt cheeks, and two on his testicles. (laughs) Oh, oh, the ultimate, ultimate. ultimate. Yeah. Now, the normal way that the surgeons tested it was was to just get a pin and go boop to see if you reacted. Yeah. But that wasn't good enough, was it, for them? No. Not for Richelieu. No, they got the needle and drove it all the way into the bone. (gasps) Oh. Maybe not with the testicles, but,
2: you know. Oh, my goodness.
3: Yeah, so they found two spots where he didn't react. And they said because of this, because of science, they have proven without a doubt that Grandier was a witch. Now, the reason he didn't react, because at that stage he'd passed out from the pain. Mm, Yeah. Oh, And then, of course, the nuns are still gone. They're running around the place. They've started to vomit up. Um, I think they said packs. It was something they were vomiting up that was uh, going to show evidence of demonic possession. So people would then sift through the vomit. <laughs> look, <laughs> looking for evidence. <laughs> what a job. Oh, well, Sister Teresa's chucked up. Can you go get that, please? We need to sift through it. Um, and they found things in their vomit, such as grape seeds and nail clippings. And also one of the others claimed they found a piece of a child's heart. ah, oh. A burned Eucharist and the Semen of Grandier. Oh. Now, mm, how do we know that it was the semen oh. of Grandier in their
2: vomit? Now this oh this is great. So can can, can everyone see this hysteria that can, has been just, created? Can,
3: I haven't finished with the I, semen of grandier, please. Oh,
2: okay. So,
3: he was walled up, remember, in his prison. Yes. He can't get out. Yes. So, how's his semen getting into their stomachs? Yes. Well, apparently, this is how he rewarded the nuns for being faithful to him <gasps> by putting semen in their stomach from his prison walls. Oh.
2: Wow. That's, that's a magician. I know.
3: I know what a talented man. <laughs> so... Now, this is at this stage, other priests are starting to query the alleged possessions because it doesn't fit the standard rules of super strength, uh, clairvoyance, there's no levitation. Mm-hmm. They did have the speaking of tongues, but it was gibberish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, they would come up with excuses. Uh, they would just say that um, with the speaking of the languages and the gibberish, well, in hell they have learned demons. The ones have been to university and then the ones who have got no education. So it's just that the uneducated demons were working through these nuns. Mm-hmm. Uh, why didn't they levitate? Well, they've come up with an excuse for that as well. Uh, apparently they'd all signed pacts with Grandier to say they would not float around the place. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'd believe that, wouldn't you? Now, one of the questioning priests brought in a holy relic a box with the blood of Jesus Christ in it Mm -hmm. and placed it within the the area with the nuns Mm -hmm. and they were instantly cured. There was no more issues. All the demons went and they said, oh, thank you, you've saved us, you've saved us. Turned out it was a hoax because he was trying to prove they were faking it.
2: Oh, mm-hmm. what did they do to him? Mm-hmm. That wasn't going to work well. They'd only gotten halfway around friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, at, in
3: July 1634, one of the nuns actually did reveal. She broke down and started crying in front of one of these audiences and admitted that they'd been lying all along and that it's all got out of control and, of course, they ignored her because they said that Grandier was controlling her mm-hmm. and making her say those words. Uh, even Sister Jeanne uh, admitted she'd made it all up at one stage. He knew that. They knew that. They just wanted to get rid of Grandier because he had pissed off so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that stage, Sister Jeanne tried to hang herself, but the nuns rescued her. Hmm. So Grandier finally gets to his trial. He's pleading uh, to the people that this is all a fabrication and the people believe him. Apparently he gives a very passionate speech and with his time where he has spent a year, I think it was, walled up in this place, Mm -hmm. he'd sort of come to realise that his behaviour leading up to this point has put him into this position. And apparently he's written these letters and things that are, are very beautifully written and a, a, a sort of understanding of the psych. Um, but they don't care. The people it's who's pissed big. off don't care. It's they need to get, get rid of him and yes. they wanted to burn him at the stake. That's yep. all they were interested in. This was their revenge. So they still needed to get a confession out of him for political reasons. So they decided to do the normal thing of the day and torture it out of him. Here we go. Mm. He held on to his truth. What is going on outside my house at the moment? (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. Sorry about all the banging and clashing out there. We've got builders still going a year later. Uh, So anyway, Grandier held on to the truth. Now, he didn't want to admit that he'd done anything, no matter how badly they tortured him. He had it in his head that if he confessed to this, that his soul would um, be destroyed forever. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to hold on to the truth. The torture was pretty bad, uh, the the first thing. And look, I'm going to give you a warning here, guys. Please, just if this stuff upsets you, don't listen. Uh, the torture started with shaving him from head to toe. And the barber was also told to take his fingernails off, but he refused. Uh, and the reason they were doing this is they wanted to take away that charismatic charm and make him look ugly. When he didn't confess, confess at that stage, they put something called the boot on him, which is a device that um, you basically... Uh, put these wedges into your bone and it's meant to pulverize the bone. Mm -hmm. So they started on his knee and worked down and every blow they were calling out, confess, confess, he kept refusing. They actually ran out of wedges Mm -hmm. and marrow was running out. His bones were crumpled. He still refused. So the priest took the hammer off the torturer and started to just bash into him with the hammer trying to get this confession out of him. They then took him out to the community and said, you must apologize for your sins. So he did apologize for the sins of what he had done of breaking his vows as a priest Mm -hmm. and uh, his lust and his greed and all of that sort of stuff. But he refused to admit to the whole Satan thing. He also forgave the people that was watching what was happening. So there were thousands there that were hoping to see a a really evil man, but what they actually saw was a very humble man who was being tortured. His friends even came over and hugged him, and uh, the the people were starting to get angry at the way they were trying to get the confession out of him. And the crowd, they were hoping the crowd was going to say lynch him Mm -hmm. because of his horrible deeds. But it went the other way. Mm-hmm. They actually felt sorry for him. Even though he had been an ass. Mm-hmm. He had actually done really horrible things himself. He was then brought to the nuns to apologise. And he refused. I'm...
2: I'm uh, I cannot believe this man is still alive. Mm. So instead, uh, he
3: didn't apologise to them, but he offered them forgiveness for what they had done. Mm-hmm. And then they took him to the square to burn him. And across when they were taking him up to the pyre, he could see his former friend, the the one he would um, deflowered his daughter and some of the other people, all sitting there and, and sipping wine and raising a glass to him to say, ha ha, we got you. Now, this is getting pretty horrible. I'm just warning you again. They led him up to the pyre and the captain of the guard offered to strangle him once he had spoken his final words so he wouldn't feel the burn of the flame. Mm -hmm. But the exorcist refused to let that happen. So what the exorcist did, as the uh, executioner is trying to lead him up to say his final words, the exorcist is running around lighting fires on the pyre to start the flames going up. The exorcist started to uh, beat him with an iron crucifix every time he tried to have his final words. (sighs) And then they would get holy water and douse the flames a little bit to calm it down so he wouldn't die from smoke inhalation. They wanted him to die from the flames. (sighs) When he actually... They thought he had died because he was charred and hanging there. He actually managed to say, I forgive my enemies. (sighs) And fell off the stake and into the ashes.
2: Oh my gosh.
3: Now, the nuns did keep up the possessions for a little bit longer, but nobody was really interested anymore. They got what they wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently, Sister Jeanne, the the mother superior, tried faking some miracles to get herself canonized. They weren't really interested in her either. They ignored her. There were a lot of priests involved in this trial. uh, And the ones who had faked stuff and made stuff up very strangely died not long after with mysterious circumstances for Mm. many of them. Mm. So the answer is no. (laughs) Is this a true haunting? (laughs) I just need
2: to go and have a shower. It's so (laughs) horrid. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, there, there's no words. No, there's
3: no I words. I just need to
2: get rid of this story. It's just so but, disturbing. Yeah, and, and this this was happening en masse. Like we said, this, this was not a, Um, it was a terrible time in history. Yep. This was happening everywhere. and We haven't even touched on other stories about not... the burning of witches or anything like that. This is kind of this first story that we've hit on that um, talks about the religious and political implications uh, that great power had and how it could influence people who were not educated and who only heard... um words and topics that were extremely biased. Yeah. That was the only way they they heard about things. And their desire, just like we have now, for spectacle, for looking at other people being hurt and having difficulties in their life because it took away from the pain that they were having in their lives. Look at all the shows that are on TV. I'm and, married at First Sight. Married at First Sight. do you everything? just
3: love every time somebody's got a heartbreak or yeah. something? He says something horrible.
2: Have we changed? No. Survivor? Absolutely (laughs) not. We're tamed down a little bit, but not. um, And, yeah, we haven't changed a lot. We haven't learnt that much. Well,
3: i tell you what, I've learned a lot from this case, and uh, I am going to declare this is not a true haunting as well, but it's certainly been an eye-opener. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. I hope you've enjoyed this slightly different episode. Let us know. Send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but we're going to head off now and prep the next case. Hope you all have a wonderful week, and we'll see you on the dark side. Now we're going to have a shower with some, some salts. <laughs> Daniela salts. Oh. We'll be frightfully good, everyone. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com.